Hello and welcome to an empty room. I am Athol with Elaine and with me, the ghost of Fletcher, the zombie of Adam. Today we are talking about bye. So, how's everyone doing today? This record sucks. Uh, we are actually discussing saves the days, stay what you are. For the record. So, the most emblematic thing about this band is... Do you remember how last time that we talked about the, what we we're going to do next? I was like, oh, I never listened to Saves the Day. You, you remember that, right? Mm-hmm. I own a record from this band. <laughs> At some point in my life, I went to a store and bought it. And I forgot I ever listened to this band. <laughs> Oops. I did recognize the first track off this album. It was an airplay single here. I don't own this specific record. I own the record previous to this one, but yes. So. (sighs) This is a regretful week, so we're going to be a little punchy. It is. So here's the thing. I don't think this album is bad. I think it's like pretty much in the middle of what we talked about. But it's one of the most just like, eh, it's fine album that we ever talked about. It's just like, there isn't a lot to say about this record. Oh, I've got some meat to chew on, don't worry. Okay, okay, I'm glad you do. For most of this record, I'm just like, yeah, this is sort of like worst super chunk with emo influences. I could use some super chunk. For me, this whole album sluiced off my mind like water off a rain tarp. I have like, I've listened to it. I've listened to it a couple times. Nothing. Yeah, I've listened to it a lot. If you, I have a last FM that just records everything that I listen ever. So I have stats for my last 20 years of music listening, pretty much. And I'm pretty sure I've listened to songs from this band for like about 50 listeners or so. And yeah, I have very little to say about this. The first time I tried to listen to this record, I got distracted halfway through and started listening to Pavement. Pavement is much better than them. <laughs> That is true. That is also a low bar, because we could name a lot of bands, and I would say, yeah, they're better than Saves the Day. You mentioned that Weezer is better than them, and I don't think there are a lot of bands that I would say that about. Yeah, I'm not really pro-Weezer, but I have described parts of this album as bad Weezer. Oof. They toured with Weezer after this album. Who hasn't Weezer toured with at this point in an attempt to appear young and hip? Weezer would start going out with, like, 14-year-old girl bands on tour if they thought it would make them seem young again. Oh god, Weezer and Baby Metal on tour? Baby Metal is too hard for Weezer. Does, uh, D2.0 still exist? The Disney Devo cover band? They would tour with Weezer now. What? That was a thing that happened in the 2000s. Disney put together a Devo cover band of children. And I think it was D2.0 or Devo 2.0. Hmm. Like Whippet Devo? Yes. 
Why? Because they wanted to bring those songs to a new generation without having an old man sing them, so children should. That tracks. I am extremely confused by everything that you just said. constant member of Save the Day is the lead singer and main songwriter, and I think he also plays some guitar on some of the records, uh, Chris Conley. There are other members of the band, but they literally change for every record, and I am not going to bother with that, because then it just becomes like proper name, proper name, proper name, and it means nothing. Conley is from Princeton, New Jersey and formed the first iteration of the band, which at the time was named Seffler, while attending Princeton Day School. So, Princeton Day School is a school that's famous enough to have its own, like, extensive Wikipedia page, so I just assume that it's, like, a filthy place for disgusting rich people, and this already, like, takes point out of this band for me. I believe they are tied into the Princeton College as a prep school, so, yeah. Hmm, yeah. Interestingly, Seffler had more of a noisy indie rock sound than, you know, what Save the Day will have later. Which makes sense, because Conley cites a bunch of bands from the Chapel Hill scene, like Superchunk and Archers of Loaf, as their, you know, the bands that made him realize, oh, everyone can start a band if they want. So, makes sense to have that kind of sound. They're inspired by Superchunk? I never would have guessed. Yeah, even more with Seffler. Like, I've listened to their first 7-inch that they recorded, and uh, it's actually not terrible. Like, if you take it as something that a bunch of, like, high school kids recorded, it's not bad. It has some good indie rock tunes on it. Almost shoegazy in place, of course, with less distortion, but, like, all the vocal melodies are almost shoegazy in place. And uh, it's very badly recorded, but what you gonna do? They, they were kids. Hey, Ellie. What? Do they have that Fugazi sound like last week? <laughs> they do not have the Fugazi sound. <laughs> I don't think we have yet to listen to a band with a Fugazi sound on this podcast. I don't think I'm ever going to get over that. That's just going to become my stupid drop for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. So they record the 7-inch, pretty decent, you can find it on YouTube. But yeah, after a while they go and record a second demo tape, and Sin McGrath, which is a friend of the band that would eventually end up playing bass with them, tells them that, using its words, the name Seffler was kind of weird, and tells them that they should change the name to Save the Day, because he always thought that would be a cool name for a band. The band is just like, sure, we'll change our name. Why not? And they change their name. And therefore, Save the Day is born. Ta-da! There is an interview with uh, Chris Conley in 2001 where he just recounts this anecdote with all the energy and charisma of, like, 
the parody of a depressed indie rocker that you would have on Daria. It's just like, yeah, man. It was like, the name is kind of weird. And, and then, then we changed it. My dude looks and sounds like Blonde Lurch. <laughs> yeah. You sang. <laughs> People really think they know me. I'm like, no. That's literally how he speaks. It's sort of incredible. Like, that's where, like, all of those shows from the 90s took that kind of parody of, like, a musician. Sort of impressive. So, while he's still in high school, the band starts forging connections with Equal Vision Records and eventually get signed and release their first album, Can't Slow Down. Interestingly, Can't Slow Down signals a radical shift in their sound as they pivot completely to a pop-punk and melodic hardcore sound, losing almost all of Seffler's indie rock influences. This, however, also gives them the ability to start touring once high school is over, and they tour with hardcore band Bane. On this tour, they will regularly be heckled by the fans of actual hardcore crowds, who are just like, what is this? What are you doing? Why are you here? Eventually, they get back in the studio to record their second Equal Vision album, Through Being Cool. Luckily, they were saved from this by never being cool. Through Being Cool is produced by Seth Everett, who, by their words, sort of helps them refining and mellowing their sound, moving it a bit more further from the initial, like, pop-punk, melodic, hardcore roots of uh, their first record. And it, um, the second record becomes more of a emo-tinged pop-punk. Reminds me a lot of early Alkaline Trio. And yeah, it's an immediate success in the scene. People love this shit. Eventually will be regarded as one of the seminal emo-pop records, inspiring a lot of bands afterwards. This is the record that I own from them, and I think it's sort of overrated. I don't like it that much. You can definitely hear how, especially like the kind of emo pop singing, has influenced the bunch of things afterwards. But I think it might have been the first record that a bunch of people listened in the genre, but it wasn't really doing anything new. Like the Get Up Kids and Alkaline Trio came before this record, which was released in '99, and they both sort of did the same ideas that this record did, but better. The cover is pretty iconic, it has all of them like sitting on a couch in this part. I think the cover of that record is the best part of the record.
So, this success sends the band into even further national touring and catches the attention of Vagrant Records, who will end up signing them as the next step in their career. The band considers this a step forward, not only because Vagrant was a larger label with more cash to throw at their bands, but also because they claim that the more varied roster of Vagrant is more in line with their sound than the hardcore-focused Equal Vision. Which I don't, I don't know, I guess with this record it sort of makes sense, but their first two records were pretty much punk records. I, I don't know. And under Vagrant's guidance, they will start working on the record we talk about today, Stay What You Are. Mm. What does that even mean? Uh, well, given that in 2000, the band ends up in a van accident that hurts them quite a lot, but does not kill anyone, uh, I think what they mean is to stay what they are being alive. Mm. The near-death experience leads Conley to reevaluate his previous output as meaningless drivel, and try to move ahead with the band's successful release. We're not, we're not, that's not me slandering them. Those are direct quotes. Yeah, that's a quote from an interview on, I don't remember which magazine. That's an interview from a magazine where we just like, yeah, what we did before was meaningless drivel, and we all thought it would be interesting to make people think a little, to try to say something. When I start reading lyrics off of this album to you, you're gonna think all right. Initially, there are talks about Steve Evatts coming back to produce the band, but the opportunity presents for the record to be produced by Rob Schnapf, and the band immediately takes it after learning that Rob Schnapf was a producer that worked with people like Elliot Smith and Beck. Once upon a time, I was very happy for Beck, and then there was that thing where he got two people killed, and uh, haven't given him a dime since. Beck is Scientology adjacent, and some of his collaborators on Sea Change ended up hounded to the point of taking their own lives. Ooh, yikes. Can we still like Elliot Smith, though? I like Elliot Smith. I know nothing terrible about him. Cool. Figure 8 is a great record. Rob Schnapp produced it. Beck is one of the few times where I'm like, God, I I like your stuff, but I can never pay you again. Entirely understandable. Yep. Yeah. Uh, two singles, complete with videos, are released for this record, At Your Funeral and Freakish. Uh, none of them gets any mainstream attention, to the point that their channel does not even link these videos anywhere, which means I didn't see them. But they did get play on Indian alternative stations. As I mentioned, I heard At Your Funeral regularly in this era. The record debuts at number 100 on the Billboard 200 and stays there for two whole weeks. Which is not much, but given that Vagrant Record was still an indie label, it was actually a success. And the record as a whole was considered like both of a critical and a commercial success, ending up as one of the best-selling records on Vagrant at the time. So, yeah, people like this. They can have a gold star. But do we like this? Uh... uh let, let's talk about it. This song will become the anthem of your underground Your two Don't you feel it? 
and let's kick off with track one, At Your Funeral. So, the video for this track is just like the singer with the camera just like pointed at his face and you know there's like time-lapse stuff going behind him, like people hanging out in this room, but the camera just stays fixed on the singer's face. This to me highlights two things. One, the singer looks like a literal baby. He's like the Adam of pop punk. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it's like clean shaved, blonde, with like the short hair. It looks like a literal baby. It's just like, who let this baby thing in a band? The second thing is that, and I'm sad that you haven't seen this Fletch, because he does a weird thing with his mouth when he sings, where like, he always sings left. Like he always, he opens his mouth mostly on the left side and not much on the right side. And it looks very uncanny valley. And he's a real human being, I assume, so it shouldn't look like an uncanny valley thing, but it does. And it's weird, and that video is sort of disturbing to look at for me. So, I have this playing in another tab now, and muted especially, I can really see what you're talking about, because it's just, he's opening from the corner of his mouth for every syllable. Yes! It's scary. You have ruined this guy's face for me by pointing this out. All right. I have to look now. You have to because it's it's incredible. Okay, here, one second. Take a look at this and watch his mouth. Yeah, that's pretty freaky. <laughs> it's all coming out of the corner of his mouth. Everything originates in the same spot. He's not opening from the center. It's like every syllable that comes out is him can-opening his face from the exact same origin point. He looks like a puppet. The four-fingered puppeteer took my band from me. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we found something amusing in this record. <laughs> oh, I told you, once we get into the actual album, I have meat for this, because every lyric to this song is basically... This dude saw the video for Filters Take My Picture, where the band is all drowning in a house while a couple people stargaze, and then he tried to start singing about it and was like, wait, I can't be too blatant. What if I talk about fire sometimes? And that's the exact thing. A lot of those lyrics on this record feel to me very like second year uni poetry class, where like you maybe had a good idea... But yeah, you should have worked on it more instead of just writing stuff down at 6 a.m. before the deadline finished. And then once you were done, you fall asleep anyway and miss the deadline anyway. And that does not come from personal experience at all. But yeah, <laughs> everything on this record is not terrible. The, the lyrics, I don't hate the lyrics. It's just like they're very undercooked. Like Speaking of undercooked, my favorite line in this song is definitely and you can bet that when we mourn the death of you that night they'll lay me on the dinner table i will be the pig with the apple in my mouth the food <laughs> that celebrates your end yeah. <laughs> see, see here's what i'm talking about like that lyric is not bad in concept the detail of the apple in your mouth is just like, no, that doesn't work, dude. <laughs> if you removed one chunk from that, this could come together. But 
with the apple in my mouth, the food that celebrates your end is what kills. It takes it an outright parody. Yeah, it's like the the initial line of the song. The song will become the anthem of your underground. It's like that's good imagery, but the song will become as an imperative is terrible because you're telling a person what to do. And that's not good because it goes from, oh, good imagery to just straight up pretentious because it sounds like you're saying, oh, this song is fucking awesome. Also, I think we're underselling the fact that the opening verse, which he repeats twice, is him saying, hey, I'm gonna murder you, dude. You're two floors down getting high in the back room. If I flooded out your house, do you think you'd make it out? Or would you burn up before the water filled your lungs? Not, I'm gonna reach out and help a friend. It's, I'm gonna kill you, and I'm gonna make your funeral a banger of a party. Damn. That's this song! Yep. (laughs) The lyrics on this album are wild in a way that if you stop to think about them for about 30 seconds, they go from metaphor to, is this a piss take? Are you putting me on? Uh, musically, this sort of sounds, that I mentioned this already, this sort of sounds like a shitty, sanitized, super chunk. They definitely are going back on those indie rock influences here. I think the guy has, like, sort of a good year for choruses. I think most of the choruses on this record are pretty good. But, uh, I don't know. It, this record needs more grit. This record is so clean-sounding. This is the best song as a whole on this album. I'm going to just state that right now. I don't think this is a bad song. Um, I think there's another song that I liked more than this, but I think this is a decent song. I think this is the best whole track on the album, but there are two parts I like more than this, which we'll get to. Uh, I don't like the dude's voice very much. Oh, that's completely understandable. Same. And so the slow part of the song kind of killed me. And then when it picked up, it was like, well, I'm already tired, so... <laughs> that said, I'm out of roast material, so tell me if you want to move on to see Uh, this is pop punk here. This is the first time I wrote, wow, this sounds like Bad Weezer. <laughs> okay. And then later on, uh, I summed up the band in a statement that I will stand by for the entirety of this record. Saves the day is every wiener kid you knew growing up in a single band. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if this song sounds like Weezer to me. Like, this is, to me, is one of the pop punkier songs. So it's... To one that I feel less actually sounds the less like Weezer or like indie rock. But the song has one of the best pronunciation of words on this record, which is My head is whirling. That's a great take on how to pronounce the word swirling. And I'm into it. That's a dude who realized he didn't know an adjective that would fit in there to pad out that lyric, but wanted to keep that rhyme as the last word. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is literally the only relevant like thing that I have to say about this song. Swarulin. This song is about 50% the same two sentences over and over and over. This one is way too chorus heavy. I like the chorus, though. The verses are really weird, don't they? All I'm getting is that this dude's feeling a bit under the weather. Like, he's got a headache, his tummy is upset, like, he's just having a rough time. <laughs> I mean, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, but I I don't make songs about it, though. Yeah, that's fair. I made the mistake of going to sleep right after eating yesterday, and, like, I felt like dying through the rest of the day. Because I'm getting gold. Did you make a song about it? Should have. <laughs> At least something would have come out from it. No, no, you shouldn't have. At one in the morning, I went out and bought a burrito today, and then I went to bed. <laughs> That's valid. Yes. That's also the SoCal experience. However, I am also a garbage being. Uh, this... I, I won't make a habit of the whole album being... My dude needs to have his metaphor license taken away, but... Yes, he does. I guess that I will get another head, then get on with my life, leave you somewhere beneath the waves of time, and I'll wear glass shoes and plastic wrap. No, I'll just wear my insides, yeah? Those five sentences are in no way connected, but they all follow one another. He should have started a new paragraph for each, like you're supposed to. Oh, please don't let this dude start trying to deliver his lines in E.E. E. Cummings' verse. But I remembered the thing that I have to say about this song, which is that the melody reminded me of some other song with a similar melody, but I could not find it, and I spent two hours today looking for it and could not get it. That is more devotion to anything related to this band than I have had yet. So good on you, and good on Chris Conley for inspiring that passion. Mostly because... I think I liked that song. This is the perfect one to talk about a problem that this band has. Most of this album is between the two to three minute range. There's a couple that creep up towards four, and it's literally a couple. And yet, this is a band that doesn't have any energy or speed. I A two minute song should not leave me going, why does this drag? Exactly. It's definitely like a slower, more poppier take on the genre, which is weird with these two-minute songs. But on the other hand, I would not like any of the songs to be longer. Oh no, the pair that are almost four minutes are excruciating. But I, I just, it's kind of amazing that you can have such short songs with no sense of speed to them. That's a very hard line to walk. However, they just drive across it because the next track is Cars and Calories.
This is a song about how, you know, celebrity culture and people looking for fame in LA are vacuous and bad. And I am going to become a meme and reference the song that I always reference when a song like this turns up. And this, What To Do by OK Go, which did this kind of song better than anyone ever could. So yeah, this is just worth What To Do by OK Go. I'm actually surprised you did not write the same thing I did about the opening to this song, which is, ah, they've just heard they might be giants. Oh! <laughs> yes! Ba, 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 ba. The first third of this song has a very They Might Be Giants background track, and then it goes into generic saves the day. Okay, so this, I will say, a lot of these tracks have really interesting, not interesting, but really nice guitar work. And the voice just ignores it and goes on like this boring, just like emo pop, just like melodies. And it's a shame because there's actually a lot of rhythmic work in the guitars and I like it. And the voice is just slow melodies that go on and on and don't play at all with the interesting rhythmic takes on the guitar. This is one of the songs where, like, the guitar is not terrible, but vocally, nothing is happening. I wrote down for this song specifically because I had been writing Bad Weezer, Bad Weezer, and it made me think of the Weez. Would Polly Shore be a better vocalist for this band? <laughs> Her life was magazines and TV screens. Selling an empty dream of cars and calories! Would be more interesting... There's at least something there. Honestly, the rhyme scheme for this song just feels so juvenile. Well, here's the thing. This song seems even more hollow in 2020 slash 2021 because now we have an actual generation dealing with the depressive path of trying to become instant celebrity via YouTube, streaming, TikTok, instant social media. This has a whole different read now and just, oh, she was in East LA and she saw pretty people. It's like, holy shit, son, you don't even know what's coming. Mm, true. This feels quaint. Yeah, a lot of songs about that the team do. And it also feel I don't know, a lot of the songs feel very mean-spirited to me. Like, there rarely feels like there's any empathy towards people that are basically like, you know, they're not evil, they are locked into a system that's shit, and that promotes shit, and that's sort of like the thing that we're all locked in, in capitalism. So, I don't know, a lot of the song just sounds like, oh, look at this stupid person doing stupid thing. I don't know, that's, that's, why, that's why I like uh, What To Do by OK Go, because it's a lot funnier and a lot more sarcastic than this song, but also, like, has a lot of empathy for the main character of the song. And I think that makes that song really work. And if you want to be cruel about it, the take is not, you know, curse these kids not knowing that they should go for something achievable. It's you can't be Mick Jagger on stage in your 70s singing, I can't get no satisfaction for $500 tickets. Yeah. That's the angle you should be going at, not just 
oh, these vapid ladies just don't know that there's actual world beyond magazines. It's always a lady, isn't it? It is always a lady. There's, because if you're a guy, it's, you're going to become a rock star. And that's good because rock stars write the songs. If you're a lady, you're the model on the car. Mm. Uh, I like the, I don't know, musically, I don't hate this song, but I think I like the idea of this song better than the song itself. Because again, the guitar is doing something interesting, and they're sort of building up to this bridge, and then the bridge just like fails. Like the bridge is just like emptiness. And yeah, I think there are, again, good ideas on this song, especially musically. They don't really come together that well. Again, this is listenable. This is not, we're not talking about SR-71 here. This is not painful to listen at. This is extremely average. It's fine. It's just like... No, this is weaponized mediocrity. (laughs) I feel you hate this more than I do. I think this is listenable. If I didn't listen to this... It's perfectly listenable, but I was struggling to find anything to write about throughout this whole album. Absolutely. If I... This is a record that listening to it repeatedly to find something to write about lowered its rating by half a star. Originally, I had rated this three stars on Radio Music. I said, oh, this is okay. And then I listened to it over and over again just to find something to write about. And I just realized, no, this is a 2.5. I do two listens to an album for this show minimum. And I will generally get one initial take on a song when I'm doing the first one. And then I'll add a second note, and maybe more, by the second listen. This is one of the only albums that we've covered for this show that I have multiple tracks where I could only write one thing, one of which is simply the word nothing. This is so... It's like they tried to make the ultimate radio rock album by smoothing off every rough edge, and it's 11... River stones you can't grasp. I don't know. An emblematic thing of this is that if you've listened to Super Chunk's 2018 album, of which I don't remember the name, but had a really cool single, um, that's pretty much sort of this. Like it's oh, take indie noisy band Super Chunk and like smooth it out to hell. Like that's a that record is a pop record, and it still has more edge than this. The worst Super Chunk album still has more edge than Saves the Day. The band we mentioned earlier, which may not have been kept in the recording, Devo 2.0, has more edge than Saves the Day. And it's literal children miming playing instruments. I don't know about that, but sure. Go listen to some of their tracks and tell me if you can't instantly have more fodder for discussion than half this album. People love this record. Like, there was an interview with Pete Wentz who said, oh, this is a great record, this got me, this made me think music was great. That's also Pete Wentz, though. Pete Wentz is like a respectable, sounds like a dick to, for, from a lot of stuff. Pete but. Wentz is a musician, that's for sure. <laughs> Look, he was in actual punk bands before Fall Out Boy. He was. I, I have way more respect for Pete Wentz. I just, I put him on the degree of, sort of how people say, well, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are kind of bad, but John Frusciante's a standout. It's like, no, John Frusciante stands out because he's in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. John Frusciante is a session musician who got jumped up on cocaine. Flea has a, good, has a couple of really good solo records. 
Flea is actually an impressive talent and the most interesting person in that band by a mile. Also a good actor. Helen Burns. It's a really good AP. Yeah. But speaking of the collapse of this bridge, let's move on to certain tragedy. Speaking about things that are less interesting than <laughs> Flea's career... Yeah, Certain Tragedy is, is, again, really sounds like a less noisy super chunk or like indie rock stuff with like emo tinges in the vocal. Uh, this is one of the least terrible for me, it's just like a sort of fun. I like the backing vocal harmonizing on the bridge, they are pretty good. But once again, like you listen to this and you're like, oh, you know what's really good? The bats. They did a really good power pop record a couple of years ago. Uh, I wish I was listening to them. This is exactly where I started saying the largest problem with this band is the vocalist, because the backing track to this, the actual drums and guitar work, pretty good, if not the hardest, but they are in no way gelling with the read on these lyrics. I think the chorus is good on this one. Uh, I think the verses are a big problem for this band. So, instead of um, this band getting an all-new everything that's not the lead singer, I think that they should all kick the lead singer out and make one big band, and then they'll have something good. Certain Tragedy is a ghost of a song. Uh, I don't mind it. I think the chorus is decent, has a good melody... Uh, has one of the best like melodic stuff going on on the record, has some good backing vocals, which is a lot of this record has this really bare production where like there's not a lot going on, which is a problem because the stuff that is going on is not that interesting. So I appreciate that in this track there are some backing vocals going on, some stuff that you can listen to. I actually don't mind this. Now, here is my personal pet peeve, and here is one of the hot takes I have saved for this recording, which is that this is the pop-punk version, lyrically, of Alanis Morissette's Ironic. None of the things described are tragedy, and I will give you one of the verses as the most perfect example of this. I could write you a song, send you a note, or empty out your trash and buy a bucket full of diamonds— but even the most beautiful of all roses must someday crumble to dust and fade away. It's certain tragedy. What? How did any of that follow from anything else? Isn't it a tragedy? Don't you think? It's certainly ironic. I could turn your garbage into gold, but plants decay so everything's sad. What? Yeah. <laughs> Again, there is something there. But, uh, dude, do a couple of... Go to sleep, wake up, read the thing again, and see if it makes sense when you wake up. It won't. You'll have to rewrite it. Get yourself an editor, yo. <laughs> like, 
Sometimes you just need someone else to look at your poetry before it's ready to go. This does have a very, the guy who writes and sings everything is also the only consistent member of the band, does sort of smack of, every time someone tries to edit my lyrics, I get a fresh group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we've cracked the code. Uh, we haven't been this mean to a record in a while, and we talked about Phoenix DX recently. <laughs> Here's the thing. While we were having this discussion, I went back to re-listen to the song again because I wanted to be able to say something about it, and I've still got nothing. Also, we are going to karmically balance out for this record next week, because you know who's coming next? Oh, it's Jimmy It World. Yup. Spoiler alert, I re-listened to the record recently. It's not as good as um, Clarity. It's good, but I actually like Clarity more. I think Bleed American still kicks all the ass. Oh, it's a it's a fucking great record. It's just like, I my personal taste is more in tune with uh, Clarity's like art rock stuff. And yeah, Bleed American is more like a straight up rock and roll album, which is great, but just like a bit less in tune with me than their previous stuff. Okay. Either way, I think we both agree. Next week is probably going to be a lot of hype from us. Oh yeah, no, that that record rules. It's a good record. Also, it has the trance song in it. It does. I, uh, my favorite is always Get It Faster. So in the meantime, let's have a jukebox breakdown. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Uh, sure. Jukebox is the next song. This sounds like Weezer. So, my best part of the album is the first 30 seconds of this, where it's just the drummer and guitarist jamming out, and that's a great sound. Oh, I hate this shit. Really? I think the riff on this song is the corniest riff we ever listened on for this podcast, and the song is wholly constructed around that riff. Sometimes corn is good, yo. I am very pro-corn, yes. Corn uh, with a K? No, corn with a C. I'm, I'm pro both. I, w- I would have agreed with corn with a K. I, w- I think Saves the Day needs more corn with a K. I still haven't listened to corn with a K, so I can't say either way, but I trust your judgment, Fletch. Here, allow me to give you some of the fine lyrical work of one Jonathan Davis. You're 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 just doing red hot chili peppers again, Fletch. No, that's that's literally the middle of Freak on a Leash. Okay, you need to you need to show off the difference between your red hot chili peppers and your corn though. Okay, so that's Jonathan Davis's uh scat singing, whereas you get more of a reggae vibe out of Akitas. Um na jo da ba da ba da da ba ba. He sounds like Dave Matthews punched in the balls. <laughs> oh man. Uh, we're a great podcast. 
I don't know about that. <laughs> I can distinctly tell you what all of my riffs are. Also, I want to point out, these are literal Red Hot Chili Peppers lyrics I'm about to sing you. Ning nong ning nong ning nang ning nong ning nang yo. That's real. <laughs> so, as much as you could crap on me for being pro-Jonathan Davis, at least Jonathan Davis keeps the scatting to breakdowns in the song. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crapping on you. I think Korn is an incredibly comedic band that's still somehow sort of good. Oh, yeah. Korn is complete butt rock, but they're greatly entertaining butt rock. Ellie has no room to talk because her the first album she ever bought for herself was Korn Unplugged. Yes, the worst thing Korn ever did. And I bought it with no sense of irony as a kid. Uh, I would have to go back and think on what the first album I bought was. I want to say it was Paul's Boutique. Anyhow, what song were we talking about? Jukebox. Yeah, I hate this shit. <laughs> I think this record has some good guitar work in a lot of it, but specifically this riff is so fucking corny, I hate it. The first part of this made me think of the Dresden Dolls, and then it took a hard left off of that. And, when I, and by that I mean the lyrics. You know what I think the problem is? I'm re-listening to this because I'm, you know, trying to find something to say about it. And, like, it doesn't sound bad. Like, I think that if I listened to this album and I didn't have to say things about it, I'd like it a lot. But unfortunately, that is not what this podcast is. There is very little meat on these bones. Like, this is good background music. It's like, oh yeah, I've got to, like, tidy up around the house or whatever. I'll put on some music. This would be to go okay music for that, but... Yeah, I want to point out, I do not, vocalist aside, think this is a bad album. I think weaponized mediocrity is the phrase I will stick with because it is completely middle of the road in every possible aspect, almost like you tried to auto-tune the blood out of it. I And I think even the vocal, the vocalist is not offensively bad it just lacks any like grit or like edge to his voice yeah he's a wiener kid if you just listen to it passingly it's just like oh this is okay and then you sort of try and focus on it and you're like oh these vocals are sort of empty they're very hollow because there lacks any like vocal charisma from this guy like this guy is not selling you these lyrics this guy is sort of just reciting them if you put a white hoodie on Chris Conley, he would be Roxas. <laughs> See, that's funny because I was just going to say, yeah, this man isn't selling us lyrics. He's reciting them because he's a puppet. <laughs> just, you just nailed that. <laughs> Thanks. Occasionally, I'm very good at the burns. But no, this the the first verse of this just instantly put me in mind of Coin Operated Boy by the Dresden Dolls. I don't like the Dresden Dolls much, but sure. No, they suck, but that's the only thing that came to mind hearing the opening to this track after he started speaking. Let's get away from this to something less freakish. Oh no!
Have you seen the video for this one? No, and I don't see it linked anywhere. You want me to take a look? You think it's worth it? Uh, it has Muppets in it. Well, legally distinct Muppets in it. I'm being given actual Muppets as an ad in front of this, which is even funnier. Oh boy, Muppets. Hey, I recognize this uh, restaurant. It's the lounge. Nice. Yeah, this song, Freakish is a weird one. And this video is not helping because it looks like the Yip Yip Muppets got cloned seven times with more fur. But, uh, they're not really doing anything. The entirety of this video seems to just be, what if Muppets went to a club? And then we didn't hire actual puppeteers to make them do anything but sit around. Yep, they sort of just sit around and hang around and nothing happens in this video. I'm two minutes in and the most any of these puppets has moved is lifting an item with a second arm that's clearly someone in a glove off-screen picking up a cigarette or a drink. Yeah. Like, everyone else is just a trash bag with fur on them. I mean, that's kind of a mood. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will not elaborate. So, the song has very uh, train vibes. This song reminds me of that fucking... Just unbearable Soul Sister song. Esther, I hate the song. I can make you hate it even more because the lyrics to this song gave me very uh, females vibes. And then I realized, oh, Chris Conley is definitely a debate me dude, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't know how to say this. Oh, yeah. Only thing I know is awkward silence. Your eyelids close when you're around me to shut me out. Bro, did you have to say eyelids? That's the lyric. Was there not a simpler word you could have used there? Also, the most disgusting metaphor on the album is definitely, as I'm talking, my words slip to the floor and they crawl through your legs, slide under the back door. <laughs> that hurt me physically to hear. That's how it starts. So yeah, this is definitely the one where I got the sense that Chris Conley would absolutely start tweeting at AOC about how would your budget handle these things? He also strikes me as the sort of dude that's like, huh, in order to sound smart, I'm going to use my thesaurus to replace all of the words with smarter words. There is also apparently a cover of this song, and I'm just going to click and hear what this sounds like. This man is playing an acoustic guitar and reading it through auto-tune. This is even worse somehow. Wow. Oh, oh well, I know this band. They're terrible. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> I listened to like two records of this band and they're really bad. Yeah, this fucking sucks. This is the difference between Saves the Day or different bands. Saves the Day... It's like, ugh, this is a lot of bad decisions. This other group, it's like, oh, this fucking sucks. <laughs> oh god, you know what this this cover sounds like? What's that? Don Acoustic, this song is literally like Rude by Magic, that horrible, like, reggae-inspired pop song. I hated that group. Yeah. <laughs> this is literally that song, Don Acoustic. Ugh. <laughs> Thanks. Now I feel like I want to gag. Adam was the smartest of the three of us, not clicking that. <laughs> yeah. 
I win again. Well, the two of us have died, so let's talk about our ghost taking flight. This is the, the the song where they want to say something more. This is the song, the serious song of the record. This this is the Arnie Hammer track. You can tell I've just dated this recording. I don't know what that means. Oh. Well, it's been an interesting week for celebrity news. Arnie Hammer, abusive vampire, is definitely a thing. What? Uh huh? Yeah, there's been some stories about his interactions with fans and things that led to the breakup of his relationship and then people discovered the secret Instagram where he posts when he's on DMT and talks about his divorce settlement involving like he must be regularly drug tested and the stupid shit he does and it's like ooh you're a nightmare ouch anyhow this song is about a childhood friend of the singer having a heroin addiction so I'm not going to be too harsh on it because it's trying to talk about real, like, tragic shit, but... Uh... I am, because Under the Bridge by the Chili Peppers is a better heroin addiction song, and that's a damn shame. Uh, like, lyric-wise, this could have used a bunch of rewrites. It's not bad, but you needed to work more on this. The chorus is okay. It goes A-A-A-A. Uh, fine, but like, I don't know, this record has like this constant sort of like upbeat summary mood going on, like chill, like chill summary pop punk, not pop punk, like chill summary pop, and like, that doesn't really work when you're talking about your friend having a heroin addiction, maybe go a bit darker. Yeah, Freakish is a slower, more downbeat track than this, and... Yet this one is where I wrote, it gets fast again, right before, what the hell are these lyrics? And it's, it's, again, I don't praise the Chili Peppers much. They're a band I've lost a lot of respect for, but I think Under the Bridge is a way better song about addiction than just talking about how, you know, you should be held up as an example for everyone, a horrible, disgusting mess, and then I drink your blood and chug you. Yeah, yeah. That's not an addiction metaphor. That's you literally saying junkies should be shamed and named. Which is not... Yeah, not good. The only line that works is the third verse. You've become a ghost. You're floating somewhere in between the waking world and a landscape of dreams. Well, it's nothing but dying. Got a grenade stuck in your teeth and you're pulling at the pin. You're an illusion, a shadow flickering underneath the sun. And even then, you need to cut that last line. Uh, I was trying to find anything about, does he know anyone who had 
drugs or addiction problems or speaking on this subject and it's like hmm hmm oh the 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 interview that i found says that this is literally about a person that he knew i just want to hear him discuss what that's like in any detail that's all i would be very curious what the little princeton rich boy thinks about the pores who get some kind of horrible hook in them however i will also say Remember when I said that uh, the lyrics to At Your Funeral were just describing a filter video? The lyrics to this, or at least the first two verses, are just describing the way a guy dies in Hellraiser. Literally. I should have had my hammer and a few rusty spikes to nail you on a wall and use bottles to catch your blood, display you for the neighbors so they'd know your time had come. And as your body sags and the stench rises in vain, before your eyes, your head lifts towards the sky, and that's the last they'll remember of you. That's a kill in Hellraiser 1. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> anyway, Nightingale. <laughs> This is the track that I wrote the word nothing about. Oh, this one. And I hope your majesty. Which is like a very like uh, followed boy chorus. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a good melody. But yeah, th this song is the just like the epitome of like, oh, the melody and structure of this song could have worked if someone with any kind of edge in his voice and charisma it. Here, here's another monkey's paw question. You have probably heard the tracks where the edge from U2 does spoken word. Would that have been better vocals? Ah. The nightingales are uh -huh. singing are calling out our marriage to our subjects on their knees. Uh. <laughs> it's hard. I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> We talked about this affair, but like, how weird must have been to go to the tour where they are touring with Thursday? Like, the fuck, dude. That's not... That's not the same thing at all. Yeah, Thursday is a band where the vocals really work, and yeah, here... Well, here's the thing. Thursday in like 2001, with the last record that we talked about, was almost like... You know, almost prog in how they approached music. They were definitely like poster chord. They actually had like structure, weird structureless song. And then this dudes come on stage and they sing the like sanitized power pop stuff. And it's just like, Whoa, how does these two things go together? They don't. Nightingale is definitely one of the two worst tracks for that, though. Uh, yeah, I again. I think the chorus is nice. It sounds like, you know, something that you would hear a couple of years later from, like, you know, Fallout Boy. There are worse things you could be than a prototype of Fallout Boy. I like Fallout Boy. I think Fallout Boy has a couple of really good albums, and uh, Mania is, like, an unintentionally pretty good album. I think they tried to be Imagine Dragons on Mania. They completely failed, and that's why that record is interesting. Again, I think the structure of the song is fine, the guitar is fine, it's just like, 
that voice just drains the song of any edge and like energy that it could have had. Uh, I can't wait till we get to Fallout Void. I like their music. <laughs> they are an interesting band, even when they're bad. Fallout Void is fucking interesting and actually sort of weird. And like, there's a lot to talk about. Well, that's the thing. I think I've looked ahead on our list. I recognize a lot more of the later groups, and I have feelings about them one way or another. Whereas a lot of this early stuff is clearly fumbling towards what's going to be the later sounds. Again, there are gems. Like, you didn't like the Get Up Kids as much as me, but I like the Get Up Kids. I think the Get Up Kids are a better version of this kind of music. Definitely. This kind of emo pop. And we're finding things that catch me completely off guard. Thursday was a gem. So yeah, I I come into all of these... Hell, you heard me at the end of the last recording. That's part of why I give the initial thoughts before I listen to anything is to go, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. Oh yeah, those critical quotes aim directly at my tastes. And then we come in after listening to the records, and this is what happens sometimes. Well, all we're losing is us, so let's talk about the next track. Yeah, all, is, all I'm losing is me. Do I even remember this song? Let me check my notes. <laughs> This was my other peak on the record is, yeah, another quiet intro where the guitarist gets to really do something. Yeah, I feel this song once is attempting, is trying, there's an inkling of an idea to play with a contrast between having dark, almost Thursday-ish verses, and then this cheery chorus that still has fairly dark lyrics, but it feels unfinished. It fe- again, I don't know if it's the voice draining it of energy again, but it feels unfinished. It has very much like a B-side stink that a lot of this record actually has. It's just like, oh, this is something we threw together for the B-side. I I don't know. The the funniest part of the song is at the end, where like they're clearly building up to a variation on the chorus, and then they do the chorus exactly the same for the last time, and that's just funny. <laughs> I I. I cannot believe that that wasn't a joke that they purposefully did, because that's like a perfect, like, setup payoff joke when they are building up a thing and then, like, just doing the same thing again. I actually liked the opening guitar on this one, and just, like, the guitar and drums throughout it. Pleasant. Enjoyable. The first verse on this, it, it comes in two three-line sets, and... The first two lines of each actually really work for me, and then the third undercuts the whole thing and actually makes me laugh out loud. The moon hangs like the blade of an axe tonight, and it's poised to drop sometime soon enough on this dump truck where I lie. Mixed up with the morning's trash, there's a piece of glass sticking in my bath and tar covering my mouth. (laughs) It's like, if you cut those third and sixth lines, this whole thing has a much better grungy depressive vibe to me but those those last ones just like 
dump truck? What? That? Where do you come from that you call the pickup truck the dump truck? And even melodically, again, this is the story of this record. It almost comes together as something that you could praise, but then it doesn't. It almost works, but then it doesn't. It, this whole record feels unfinished. This is the one that comes closest, and if you cut a couple of lines, I would actually give this one my song of the album. But just every time, there's one that suddenly takes it from depressive melancholy to, are you having a bit? And the pressure is getting to me, and the waste in which I sit is just lurking beside me, and I can't tell if it's me or the meat that's rotting. I'm going to have to give up sometime soon. <laughs> Cut that last one. See, trucks are cool and trash is clearly evil. So it all tracks. Is this an exit? This is not an exit. That's the next song. <laughs> Tonight will be Out of the dam, and we will stand knee deep in the floor. The undertow grab our heels and won't let go. And while we I kind of want them to lean more into the honky tonk sound that's on this one. This does have sort of a honky tonk guitar sound. Uh, I to me the sound sounds a lot more like sort of like a less noisy version of sort of 90s American indie rock. Yeah. I don't know if I call that honky tonk, but okay. This could be a Chris Gaines B-side. This is not an exit. Has some really good guitar work. Yeah. And and the vocal melodies, this is the weird thing. The guitar work is actually, like, very rhythm-based and interesting. Not even that interesting, but it's, like, very pleasant. It's, like, it has a rhythm to it. It has a clear thing that it's going for. And then the vocals just do the same emo-pop singing. And I like emo-pop singing, but it feels like the vocals are from other songs. It feels like the vocals shouldn't supposed to be with this instrumentation. This instrumentation should have, like, edgier, harsher you know, grittier, more rhythmic vocals. And it doesn't. It's just like this long words. I have an idea. What? We should get the mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers to do the vocals for this band. That'll be real gritty. Do you want me to do my gritty impression right now? Because you don't. I don't think that thing can speak. I think it only makes horrible garbage disposal noises when its mouth opens. And this is also where he starts reusing metaphors, because some of the chorus is just straight up as your ghost takes flight lyrics again. And if the hook sets in the bottom of our lungs, we'll rip it out and lick the blood off with our tongues. That sounds like insult sword fighting in Monkey Island. Look, this dude, this was right after the 90s, but like a couple of years before, like in 98, before this guy got famous... He was definitely in a Vampire the Masquerade campaign. Yes. This, this, this is the dude that plays... What are the, the crazy ones? No, the... this dude did not play a Malkavian because he's way too serious for that. Think of a single line on this that was intended to make you smile. You can't. 
I don't know. This guy plays a Malkavian, but not as like funny thing. Like he plays it as like the Joker. My dude thinks that he's a Toreador. The the artisans, the beauty wankers. Yeah, that's who he thinks he is. Yeah, that, that tracks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Listen to Gotta Get Out of This Town, the only pop punk podcast that compares pop punk album to Vampire the Masquerade Clans. Honestly, I would be surprised if we're the only one that does that, but maybe it's just because I knew a lot of LARPers in the 90s. I mean, I didn't know any LARPers in the 90s, so it might just be you, Fletch. Uh, Adam, you weren't alive in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the joke. Let's just bring this home with Firefly, and like Firefly, by track 11, it will be cancelled. I said I'll walk you home! See, here's the thing. This whole song, I was just like, I could be listening to Owl City right now. And so I did. Owl City is good. It's better than this. This is the other track that I only had one note on, except I didn't even write something as useful as nothing. What I wrote was, Joss Whedon does suck, actually. <laughs> you know, I hate Joss Whedon. Firefly is sort of a fan series. Uh... Which annoys me because I don't like Joss Whedon and I don't like anything else that he has done. Firefly is sort of fun. Firefly is bad Briscoe County Jr. in space. Uh, yeah, this song. This specific note will make everyone understand how I feel about this record. Tom DeLonge could have sung this song better. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. This is not a terrible song. This is like a final fast track like it's a good way to close the album it's like the faster track on the record but this guy just doesn't sell it it just doesn't work with this guy's voice and that annoys me no a punkier vocalist could have done this cutting it down to about 230 instead of three minutes and that would have been a better flow like he sounds like a baby he doesn't have any like edge or any, like, it, doesn't, it lacks any oomph in his voice. He sounds like he looks like. Yeah. Looking at the lyrics on this, this is clearly meant to be a harder, punkier, faster song. And then he's just crooning it at you. And so when you see we become fireflies flashing at the ends, rattle garbage cans by our prepare to be ravaged by our lust burning mad, it doesn't come out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the melody is cool. It's sort of get up kids ease the melody in places, which I'm into. But it just doesn't work. No, this is very much a I want anyone else to be doing this track. There's a lot of this album. I want anyone else to be doing this track to either make it much better or much worse. So I have something to say. A lot of this is just here. Again, gotta continue with the follow-up by Metaphor because Pete Wentz, for some reason, was in a in an interview about the history of this band. But like, 
Patrick Stamp could sing this song a lot better because he has a weird voice. And like, it is not, it is technically like, if you have to look it on a technical way, it's probably worse than this guy's voice. But it's weird and it's interesting and has an edge to it that gives energy to stuff. Okay, I've got one for you. Is this record improved with the singer of Sum 41 crooning these tracks out? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's got the energy and the edge you need here. <laughs> I don't even have to think about that. Like, he sounds like emotions. Given, the, it sounds like one emotion, which is, I'm like 19 years old, and I'm angry at everyone, and I'm like sort of sneering and pop-punky. But that's what you need on more than a couple of these tracks. But yeah, yeah, that, that is one emotion more than this record. <laughs> yeah, this song needs energy and it doesn't have it it does not also i want you to know that i scrolled down a little past the lyrics on this track and i got confronted with one of the most cursed sentences i've seen all day which is simply post malone and his acoustic guitar hey would post malone be a better vocalist for this album yes <laughs> yes <laughs> wow you didn't even think oh. post malone has like a thing going on vocally. I might not like that thing, but it has a thing going on vocally. I like how I could hear you about to say range and then stop yourself. <laughs> uh, do we have any other thoughts on this album? Nope. Uh, I think we can go to final thoughts. I don't know. It's so close to being entertainingly good or entertainingly bad, and it doesn't go in any direction. Yeah, I know, like, I read on the internet a lot of people who love this record and love the previous record, and I don't get it. I, I, as a person, and again, I have to reiterate this because I'm being really mean to this record. I like emo pop. I like this kind of pop punk music. I like this kind of sort of like whiny pop-punk, slower, you know, I like Taking Back Sunday. This doesn't do it for me. This is just doesn't work. I think, the I like the guitar work on this record, and by next episode they will have a different guitar player, so who knows what will happen to them in the next record. But I like the guitar work. I think it's very indie-inspired. It has, like, stuff going on for it. But it's just the vocals and the lyrics, they just feel undercooked, and the whole album feels unfinished. Which is weird, because I like the producer. The producer uh, did Figure 8 by Elliot Smith, which is probably the best produced Elliot Smith record. It's where he like, got a lot more range in terms of sound, and that record is great. But It sounds like they're super cursed by their next album, as I look that up. Wow. What, what happened? The album comes out. They receive a call from their label who says, 
no one on radio is biting at the single and MTV doesn't want to play the video. So we're going to have to start thinking about the next record, which is after the after the release party. And then a few weeks after it comes out, the label is absorbed by a bigger company who stopped taking the group's calls. <laughs> oh, gosh. Holy crap. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. My final thoughts are that if you ignore the lyrics um, and you don't have to talk about it for a podcast, it's pleasantly bland. It's perfectly fine music to write to. It's one of those things where, like, I could listen to this, I would not be sad or anything, but why would I if there are, like, better things to listen to? Making me focus on this made this more miserable than if it was just playing in the background of a restaurant. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that Spotify puts on as, like, a, oh, you ran out of music, here, have some more. And you don't turn it off because you're like, meh, this is all right. Yeah, absolutely. But also, like, you know, in the moment where you go and choose what to listen yourself, you're like, why don't I just listen to, like, something to write home about by the Get Up Kids? Which is sort of like this kind of ideas, but better realized. Eh. Uh, it's a record. 2.5. That's my, my rating. It's just, like, perfectly in the middle. Let's call it off And after Stay What You Are, the band continues riding Lings Like a Rocket. They will try to get to the Warp Tour, but actually not go through with it, instead going around with other bands on Vagrant Records. They appear on a bunch of TV shows, including some late shows. I did actually see they were on Craig Kilborn's show at this time while I was looking for live footage during our recording. And they tour with a lot of major names. Green Day. Blink-182, as much as we kept making the joke, Weezer. Our favorite band! Yay! <laughs> Thank God they're not pop-punk and we won't have to touch on them, because I think that would be Hashpipe-era Weezer around here. Ugh. Uh, I would love a special episode where we take a look at Weezer discography. <laughs> I'll absolutely do one if you want to challenge me. Not now, maybe, but... Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to put in the pocket if we want to do it at some time. Weezer has some really good things going on for them and a lot of terrible shit that they wrote. Especially now. Oh god, yeah. Van Weezer is coming soon. <laughs> Ellie has described this perfectly by saying, Their success will lead to Saves the Day attracting the attention of major labels, which for emo bands is sort of like when in Jurassic Park the characters fail to keep still and attract the attention of a T-Rex. Yeah, it never goes well when an emo band gets signed by a major. I didn't mean to look ahead when I saw their next album, but holy crap, what a curse. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about this more in depth when we get to it. 
the, yeah. Yeah. But next week, if you thought we were cruel this time, get ready to hear a lot of energy, because next week we're talking about Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American. Same song, different chorus. So, this was an episode of Gotta Get Out of This Town, a pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective of the 2000s. You can find our stuff at getoutofthistown.com. Some people in the podcast would say that you shouldn't find that stuff there, but you, sh- you, you should go there. There's a lot of good stuff on that website. You can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com, and you can Twitter us at ggoottpodcast. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, everywhere, on Amazon even. You can rate and review us on iTunes and wherever you want, please do. I say it every episode, please do, it makes it go higher in the algorithm, and, and that's a good thing. It makes it so that when you click on our podcast, the first recommended thing is not like, I don't know, the iTunes help page. Um... Are you lost? That you really wanted to listen to this podcast? No one does. Um, That's a little harsh. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we told you what's next. And this is this was the episode. Do you have anything to plug, Fletch? All of my work can be found at hellscaper.com. Do you have anything to plug, Adam? Nope. And you can find me, as always, at ACC the Moon on Twitter. And if you'd want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but if your music video needs some puppetry done, and you don't want to just have the puppets hanging around like they're just plushes, we have a puppetry agency now. Please make sure to not mistake Adam as a puppet. He's just short. Good night, everyone. See ya. Good night. I've got the time to stick around I'll catch my flight Like a pop pocket And get out of this town What's on your mind? There's no point left To keep your image down Let's terrify So they're very The Cure then Yeah Yeah Remember when we all thought That meant Robert Smith was cool And not that it was A tremendous warning sign? <laughs> Uh, I think it was. I, I think on this one, I was too young to like exist in a world where people thought Can't Robert relate. Plant was cool. Robert Smith. What? Robert, Robert Plant, Plant was. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. The Sad in Robert Plant. Sure. <laughs> he was in the Cure, of course. Yeah, he appeared on some of Blood Flowers. I remember that. <laughs> uh, today is a great day for us. Um. Yeah. It's the chaos hangover. This, however, also gives them the ability to start touring once high school is over, and they tour with hardcore band Band. During this oh, tour... Oh, I for... Crap. Crap? <laughs> it's not Band. That was supposed to be an entire different <laughs> to put it back.
You know what? You could tell me that there was a hardcore group named Band, and I believed it. So that says a lot. You really a Bane is the band. That's why I misspelled it as Band. Gotcha. All right. I'll do a retake on that. Although I do kind of want you to leave that in just for the hilarity of, oh no. I'll keep that. I'll put that as an outtake. Cool.